Well, Boca Tov, everyone, we are live, at, at least for the moment, and prayerfully, it will stay just like this. So, Baruch Hashem. Uh, thanks to Menashe and his brilliance, we are trying a new method here, and uh, Bezrat Hashem, it will continue to be stable. So, welcome to an Aliyah day. If, for some reason, I should disappear in some type of uh, holy magic trick, please know that our uh, audio is being recorded on the podcast, and so Bezrat Hashem, you could go there and listen to it if we, uh, if we go dark, as it were. But we're not going to go dark because it's the light of Torah. Amen. Today, we are going to have the third and fourth reading of the uh, Aliyah today because we'll be traveling on Thursday, so this will kind of get us ahead of the game, so to speak and be able to have everybody uh, together. Next time we go on vacation, we're going to check the internet service where we're going. That's right, we are. Lesson learned. All right, so we have a, the Parashat Kitavo, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim. And we're going to begin reading the third Aliyah. The third Aliyah is in chapter 26 and beginning in verse uh, 16. So we're going to, as I said, we're going to read the third and fourth Aliyah, which means we're going to be reading from verse 16 all through until we get to chapter 27 and verse uh, 10. So here we have, it says, this day Adonai your God commands you to perform these decrees and statutes, and you shall observe and perform them with all your heart, with all your soul. And it says, you have been distinguished, you have, excuse me, you have distinguished Hashem today to be your God for you and to walk in his ways and to observe his decrees, his commandments and his statutes and to hearken to his voice. And Adonai has distinguished you today to be for him a treasured people as he has spoken to you to observe all his commandments and to make you supreme over all the nations that he made for praise. For renown and for splendor, and so that you will be holy people to Adonai, your God, as he spoke. Chapter 27, now we begin the fourth reading. It says, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Observe the entire commandment that I command you this day. It shall be on the day that you cross the Jordan to the land that Adonai, your God, gives you. You shall set up great stones, and you shall coat them with plaster. You shall inscribe on them all the words of this Torah when you cross over, so that you may enter the land that Adonai your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as Adonai the God of your forefathers spoke to you, about you. It shall be that when you cross the Jordan, you shall erect stones, of which I command you today, on Mount Ibal, and you shall coat them with plaster. There you shall build an altar of Adonai your God and an altar of stones, and you shall not raise iron upon them. Of whole stones shall you build the altar of Adonai your God, and you shall bring upon it elevation offerings to Adonai your God. You shall slaughter peace offerings and eat there, and you shall be glad before Adonai your God. You shall inscribe on the stones all the words of this Torah, well clarified. Now that phrase... Well clarified is very important, and we're going to come back to that in a second. It's going to teach us something very valuable about Torah observance. And for many of you who come, particularly from a Messianic background, it's going to completely dispel something that you've heard for many, many years. But we'll come back to that in a second. 
So it says, Moses and, and the Kohanim, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Be attentive and hear, O Adonai. This day you have become a people to Adonai your God. You shall hearken to the voice of Adonai your God, and you shall perform all, say it with me, all, all his commandments and his decrees, which I command you today. All right, so let's jump right into Rabbi Monk's commentary because there's a lot of great things to share about this particular, these two, I should say, uh, these two aliyot. <clears throat> First and foremost, let's begin with this, this phrase in verse 16, Hayom Hazeh. The phrase Hayom Hazeh is meaning this day. So according to Ramban, he brings down that Moses is making a final plea. Now, I think this is very instructive because what's happening here is is Moses is about to go away. All right. He's about to no longer be the spiritual leader of the community. And he's about to uh, lead. The people are being led into the Holy Land by Yehoshua. Um, And so you have these several things going on here. First of all, Moses is no longer be the spiritual leader. The people are going to go into the promised land. They're going to go into their promise. They're going to begin to to start living what God wanted to live. And so what is Moses doing as a result of those facts? He is actually saying to them, I want to make one final plea with you that when you go into the promised land, that you should remember to obey the Torah. It's quite the opposite of what people are taught theologically today. People are taught theologically today that when you when the promise comes, i.e. Messiah Yeshua, and you're in the proverbial promised land, at least spiritually at the moment, that you should abandon the Torah. You should totally forget about it. When you have a new spiritual leader, when that prophet like me, I'm talking about Moses, of course, comes to you, that you should totally forget what I've said. You should totally forget what all the other prophets said, not just Moses, but all the other prophets. And it's exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. What Moses says is when you go into the promise, do not forget my Torah. In fact, all throughout the Tanakh, God repeats himself over and over and over again, telling us do not forget the words of Torah. The exact thing that has happened to people today, they've been taught over and over again, forget, forget it. So it says uh, in another explanation, the unusual phrase upon this day, Hayom Hazeh, <clears throat> it says Rashi cites the Midrash to say that Moses wanted us to always think of the Torah as being fresh and exciting as if it had been given today. So this is, of course, an insight that comes down from Midrash Tankuma. So this is very uh, interesting as well because when I read those words, I was reminded of the psalmist, it says that his mercies are renewed every morning. There's a idea theologically that God started the universe and then he walked away. He kind of started it spinning and then left. And the reality is, from a Jewish point of view, is that Hashem, he, he perpetuates creation day after day. That uh, one could say that he renews creation every day. Now, the reason this is the case is because we think about creation many times as God created the, the heavens and the earth, and that was like his little project. <clears throat> but the reality is, is that one of the names for God is Hamakom, which means the place. 
which means that God is existence. So there's nothing outside of God. So therefore, it's not as if you have Hashem over here and you have the universe over here. The universe is literally inside Hashem. Like the, the sages talk about this, that he had to contract himself in order to make room for the universe. So therefore, the universe is perpetuated every day by God's word. The same word that he spoke to the sun, the star, the moon, hey, I need you to be created and I need you to operate in a certain way. They continue to operate that way according to his word. You know, uh, we're presently, as I said yesterday, on the uh, coast of uh, Texas. We're here in Corpus Christi. The beach is just right outside the window. And so it's a fascination that no matter how much water pours into the ocean, no matter how many rivers flow into it, no matter how many hurricanes uh, come into it, it will not go beyond its bounds. It doesn't grow any bigger. The ocean doesn't grow from what God originally set its borders. I, I, I understand on occasion you have an, a hurricane that comes and the water you know, goes in, inland for a while because it floods, but it always recedes back to its original starting point. So what does this mean? It means that day in and day out, the Torah is new. Day in and day out, creation is new. Day in and day out, the creation is still obeying the original voice of God when he said bara in Breshit. And so we, also being a part of creation, need to view God's holy Torah as being new every morning. This is why people that say, how can you study the Torah over and over again? Because the answer is, it's first of all, it's never ending. It's, it's deep upon deep. Secondly, it's new to us every day because God renews his word. And how many of you can say that you've studied the word of God many, many years, some of you, and then you go back, you read the same passage you've read maybe a hundred times, and all of a sudden you find something you're like, wow, I don't know if I've ever read that before. And the fact is, you have read that before, but God is adding a new depth, a new layer to what to your understanding, because the Torah is completely illuminated. So it says, and you shall observe and perform them. So Rashi relates that these words, Vesamarta, Vesatita, Otam, you shall observe and perform them refer to the previous subject of uh, the Bikurim, the giving the first fruits. And he's quote, he quotes a Midrash, Rashi quotes a Midrash, and he brings down basically this idea that when a Jewish person performs a mitzvah, God allows him the ability to perform another mitzvah. So one mitzvah leads to another. Conversely, one sin leads to another. So we have to be very careful about sin. Why? Because when we commit a sin... That gives us a, 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 an idea that we might create another sin or commit another sin. When we, com when we perform a mitzvah, we perform a new mitzvah. And now this basically means what? It means that good produces goodness. This is why Hashem, or excuse me, Yeshua said, I came to give you life and life to the full. Why? Because He's the living Torah, so He's going to give us life. And then when we operate and we work within that life, he gives us even more life. So goodness leads to goodness. So one, this is also the idea behind the concept that, <clears throat> listen, when you're just getting started, some of, some of you are watching me right now, 
You're just now getting started in your Torah observant life. And so the question becomes, what do I do? There's so much to learn. There's, I mean, you're just overwhelmed because you look at the Torah as, as one big gigantic sea. How can I take it all in? And the be- as, as I've told people for years, the most important thing about starting a Torah observant life is to start. You just begin with, with a mitzvah or maybe a couple of mitzvahs. We tell people that are coming and they're new to our synagogues that first thing is start lighting candles on Friday night. Start observing the Shabbat. Start having Erev. Second thing is start to, uh, start to, to kosher your home. Start to work on starting to eat. Not clean, not quote-unquote biblically kosher, which is not really kosher, but start to eat actually kosher because that's very important. It's very important that we, what we're putting in our bodies is spiritual. I'm not talking here about health because it's, it's perfectly fine and, and, and commendable and, and even recommended to eat healthy, but healthy and kosher are not necessarily the same thing. I'm talking here about eating, eating spiritual, eating things that only God wants us to eat. Sometimes that might be a donut. A kosher, donuts are kosher, but they're not healthy. That's what I mean when I say that kosher eating is not necessarily healthy. But my, the bigger point is, is that we've got to begin to kosher our lives, kosher our kitchen. And then the third thing is to start to ob- observe the mitzvah, I mean, excuse me, the Yom Tovim, the, uh, the holidays. Those three things are really the starting point of anybody's walk of Amunah. And then everything else kind of just little by little falls into place. But why? Because one mitzvah leads to another. As you're observing the Erev, as you're observing Kashrut, as you're observing the Yom Tovim, then you'll begin to learn other mitzvot. And it's a lifetime of learning, by the way. You never stop learning. You, you never stop improving. Uh, so anyway, we have to understand this important fact. So here is another Noahide alert or Messianic Gentile alert, depending on how you want to uh, look at it. Here at Lapid Judaism, we do not believe in the, the Messianic Jewish, I mean, excuse me, the Messianic Gentile uh, ideology is completely foreign to the Bible. It is absolutely foreign to Jewish literature. It does not exist except uh, in Messianic slash Christian church worlds. Here's my, when I say it doesn't exist in Jewish thought, there's, there are many, many examples of this, but here's one. It says, you have distinguished Adonai today. So Rashi brings down and explains the unique word, he hemarta. You have distinguished. He says in this verse, and he hemirecha, he has distinguished you in the next verse. So we distinguish God and he distinguishes us. All right? Which is something we're going to come back to in a second. How important it is for us to glorify God and he will shine his light upon us. So it says this, and you have differentiated Hashem from the false gods to be your God. And as a result, he has distinguished you from the other nations to make you his chosen people. Notice the phrase there from Rashi. He has distinguished you, who? Israel, Jewish people, from all the other nations. This is, as I said on on the first reading, the first Aliyah, that the problem, one of the main problems with the Messianic Gentile uh, theology, which is completely false, is that it creates two different people groups. There's only one people of God. 
And what Raji's bringing down here is that because you, Israel, have distinguished me as the one true God, I have distinguished you as the one true people. Not another people. He didn't ever say there's no promise anywhere that he's going to make other nations also his nation. It says he's going to bring them into his nation. He's going to bring them in, graft them in, but he never said he's going to make another distinct people. So for those of you who are out there that are non-Jews, and you're thinking, why? That's kind of depressing. I have no place. No, it's the exact opposite. It means that you can be a part of the people of God, but when we start creating our own little thing, that's when problems arise. Uh, so, you know, you know why the Hebrew Roots Movement exists today? Which is completely off. You know why the Hebrew Roots, Roots Movement exists? It's because... The, the nations have not been taught that they can be converted. And so as a result, they got despondent, discouraged, depressed, and went off and did their own thing, just like, you know, it's, it's interesting. They talk about the two house. They talk about Judah and Israel. Well, what did Israel do? They went off and created their own religion. And they, they created their own temple. They created their own gods. It's exactly what Hebrew Roots Movement has done today. And so, but why do they do it? They did it because the king in Judah was not sensitive enough to, to bring them in. He pushed them away. So it's really our fault. So we need to in, 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 encourage the nations to become Jews, not to stay as non-Jews, because it creates, and I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I think you're all adults. You can get this. When you tell people that you're grafted in, you're adopted, but, you know, you're adopted, but you're not, you're not as special as the natural children, you can understand why that would create an animosity, which is exactly what it's done, which is only furthered anti-Semitism. Sometimes we're, we're, we are our own worst enemies. So anyway, I digress. It says, another uh, continuing this thought, a different interpretation of these unique words is given by Ibn Ezra. He sees them as meaning glorify. So it says here, as Israel glorifies Hashem, so does Adonai glorify Israel. Now, Rabbi Monk says, this idea is consistent with the great symbolic illusion offered by the Talmud in Barakot 6a, which describes Adonai as wearing tefillin that corresponds to our tefillin. Now, just think about that for a moment. Hashem wears tefillin that corresponds to our tefillin. So it says, whereas our tefillin glorify Hashem with the words, Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God, Adonai is the one and only. And it says in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, His tefillin glorify Israel with the words, Who is like you, O Israel, a nation unique in the world. First Chronicles 17.21. Notice that again, unique in the world. Not, there's not another nation that's unique in the world. America is not a nation unique in the world according to, according to God. We were a unique nation you know, in, in the natural world, I guess. But uh, and I, in the same way, France is unique and Germany is unique. But in terms of the covenant, there's only one nation, which is why there's only, there, there are only 12 gates to the New Jerusalem, and they're all the tribes of Israel. There is not a United States gate. There's not a Canada gate, and, and so on. But what's more, more remarkable about this is that as we have glorified God, he in turn glor glorifies us. That's why the sages say, 
when we do that, when we perform the mitzvah, when we perform God's Torah, that he makes his will our will when we make our will his will. It's an exchange. It is a, uh, a beautiful, uh, remarkable gift that we have that when we lift up God's name and perform his mitzvot, he lifts us up. So it goes on to say here, and, and to make you supreme above all the nations. So this comment from Rabbi Monk points out that there's one nation, one covenant, there's one house, one flock, one shepherd. As it says, it says that um, then Israel will be universally recognized as the holy people of Hashem. Notice it says that Israel will be recognized. Now, Israel, Jew, and Hebrew are all synonymous terms. So when it says Israel will be recognized, it's talking about the Jewish people will be recognized as the holy people. Now, getting into verse, uh, excuse me, the chapter 27 and verse 1, there's a couple things I want to bring down. So I, want to, I just want to get right into this chapter. First and foremost, again, we're still looking at Rabbi Monk's commentary this morning. He says, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, So it, Rabbi Monk says, I'm just going to read the paragraph here, and then we'll comment on it. It says, In this verse, the people are addressed... In the singular form. However, in the next verse, the plural form is used. It says there are many such changes from singular to plural and plural to singular in the first eight verses of this chapter. So apparently the Torah wants us to, to be taught that the task of observing the Torah and possessing, possessing the land cannot be carried out by individuals alone, nor by the people as a whole, but it must be fulfilled by the combination of both. So, we talk about the, the need for community. There is, there is an individual uh, covenant and then there is a communal covenant. The, the two have to go hand in hand. It matters how you and I are living our life. Uh, you know, as I've said before, it matters how you and I are living our life in public and behind closed doors. It is imperative that we are the same all the time. And it's not just about us. It affects the community, even if you're a thousand miles away. Even if you're a thousand miles away, it affects the community. You say, I go on vacation. I, you, I, I go to, uh, let's say you go to a beautiful Austrian vacation. May Hashem allow me to go there someday, right? You go to Austria on vacation. You say, I'm way over on the other side of the world. My community is in uh, Kansas City. My community is in whatever, Houston. But it still matters what you're doing in Austria. At the same time, it's not all about us on, at the individual level. We need the community. This is what the Torah is trying to teach us. Why, this is why it goes back and forth between singular and plural, singular and plural, to teach that the individual matters and the community as a whole matters. Many people have lost that, particularly in our day and age. So it says each Jew must be ready to contribute to the task incumbent upon all. So Rabbi Monk says, this, this thought is expressed by the participation of each of the 12 tribes in providing their individual stone as an integral part of the monument dedicated to the Torah. Now the second verse says, it shall be on that day that you cross the Jordan to the land that Adonai your God gives you, you shall set up a great stone and you shall coat them with plaster. So it says in the commentary, that day was to be one of the most eventful and glorious days of Jewish national history. 
The Talmud in Sota 36a recounts that on this day the Israelites crossed the Jordan and they reached Mount Ebal and Gerizim that were more than 60 miles away, which is an incredible feat for people that are marching on foot. It says the next thing they did is they set up great stones, plastered them with plaster, and it says they wrote upon them the entire Torah in 70 language, in 70 languages. Now, many people have been taught that the Torah, the, the, the mitzvot following the Torah is only intended for the, for the Jewish people. Well, that's true. We're gonna, let, let me just kind of try to uh, bring some clarity to that. It's true that the Torah is only for the Jewish people, but it was never intended to remain just with the Jewish people. In other words, it was intended that other people should be attracted to it, follow it, and convert and become Jewish people, if you understand what I mean. This is why it was written in all 70 languages. This was the first of the evangelical tracts, right? You know, you, the, the, the missionaries hand out tracts to people all over the world, and they translate those missionary tracts in all kinds of different languages. Why? Because they want those people to become, to believe in the God of the universe, right? So God sets up his own track. He sets up a, a, a stone pillar, and he has Israel write upon it the entire Torah written in every single language. Can you imagine that? Imagine the entire Torah written on a pillar in all the known languages of the world. Why? To In order that people should read it in their own language, come to believe in the God of Israel and become part of Israel. That's the whole point. So for those who say that the Torah, if you're Jewish, it's, you're meant to keep the Torah and everybody else is not even supposed to pay attention to it, is completely antithetical to the Bible, is completely antithetical to Jewish literature. Right here in the commentary, it says that God purposely wrote it in the entire, in, in all the known languages. Not just that, but we learned when we were reading Parashah Yitro, back in the book of Exodus, we discovered that when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, that he spoke the Torah in all the 70 known languages as well. This is why when you go to the book of Acts in chapter 2, it's Shavuot, that's the giving of the Torah, and everything that happened in Acts chapter 2 happened at the original Torah giving. That's because Acts chapter 2 represented a renewal of the Torah. So when it says they heard the apostles worshiping and praising God in their own language, that's exactly what happened at Mount Sinai. What was the reason? The reason was because God wanted to attract all the nations to the Torah because ultimately he wants every single person in the world to become a Jew. That is, that is absolutely the fact. That is shocking to your ears. You've never heard that before. But that's true. That's exactly what the Bible says. Exactly what Jewish literature teaches, actually. So it says, and you shall coat them with plaster. Now there was a debate. Uh, Rabbi Shimon was of the opinion that the uh, inscriptions were written on the plaster the, itself. Uh, this, this was in Tractate Sota 35b. Rabbi Yehuda disagreed, saying that the inscriptions were made first and then plastered over uh, with a plaster coating. So there was a debate. What, was the Torah written on the stone itself and then plastered over? Or was it plastered over and then written on the plaster itself? 
And there was, so Rabbi Yehuda said, nope, it was written on the stone and then it was plastered over. And of course, then the discussion is, well, how is, how is it that the nations can, can read it in their own language if it's covered up? And Rabbi Yehuda has a re, kind of a remarkable and really insightful idea concerning this. He says his argument was that if the nations had really been eager to know what God wants, then they would have scraped away the plaster to read the words beneath. And their failure to do so was a sign of their lack of interest, which earned them even more severe condemnation. So this teaches us several things from Jewish thought. First of all, it's the, it says in Proverbs 25.2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to find it. God, God hides treasure so that we can dig it up. Our effort is required in finding what God wants us to find, okay? And we cannot say, well, no one ever told me. And, and uh, you know, many people today lament and say, well, I never knew this. And, and, and yet, they've had a Bible sitting on their counter for, a lot of times, decades. We just have to peel back the plaster and find it. But it also teaches something else. Rabbi Yehuda said in that tractate of Talmud, he said that because the nations didn't peel away the plaster to see what God wanted, they weren't really that interested. It was like, ah, uh, if it takes a lot of effort, I'm not really interested in doing it. That they suffered more severe consequences, which teaches us what? Just think about it logically. It means that God wants the nations of the world to find his Torah, to begin living it, and to become part of his nation. Otherwise, he would not put upon them consequences for not seeking it out. This completely dispels the notion that God is not interested in the nations of the world becoming his people. And how do we come as, become his people? We, we become his people vis-a-vis the covenant of Hashem. That's how we become his people. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. It looks like we stayed live the whole time. I hope that's the case. If you're watching this video and you're not yet subscribed to our channel, please subscribe. Please like this video. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Uh, put a little comment below and uh, let us know what you liked or maybe what you'd like to hear more about in the future. And we'll do our very best to accommodate that, that. Until then, may you have a blessed day, a glorious day, a remarkable day. And with God's help, we'll see everybody tomorrow for the Aliyah. And prayerfully, it'll work as well as it has today. Shalom and blessings.